It's, uh, it is so good to be with you. Glad that you're here. If you have that Bible, uh, why don't you go to Romans chapter 1. Tracy Nordyke is going to come, and we're going to read verses 1 through 17. We've been going through this introduction, and so now why don't we just read the whole thing. Even though we're just going to focus on two verses, let's listen to God's word to us. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Well, that is, um, that's the beginning of our intro, Romans 1, 1 through 17. Um, and that was a lot, and some of us are newer to the Bible, and we want to get something out of it, but admittedly, it's like you read it, Okay, what do I do? Well, if you're here uh, or you've been here, we've been mentioning some resources. These don't replace the Bible, but sometimes because it's 2,000 years old, written to a different group of people in a different time period, it's just a little hard to figure out. So thankfully, some people in God's church have dedicated their lives. These three books are just three of seven. They, people have dedicated their lives to really look, study, read material, pause, reflect, and help us get the most out of it. So just as a reminder, if you're new here, I'm asking you, because we're going to be in this series for a year, to get some resources to help you. Then we're going to start, this has just been the introduction, we're going to mention what we're doing next week. You could read, it's usually five, seven pages, maybe ten, on what we're reading the next week. And come ready to learn and grow. And if you do that, those who sow will reap. Don't just let someone tell you about the Bible. Begin to discover the wealth that's in it for yourself. So with that, 
Um, I want to give away three of these. Uh, Doug Moo wrote one. It's called the New International Application Commentary, and it's um, well-rounded and is focused on learning how to apply it. Uh, if you're here for the first time, I'm not here to put you on the spot, but I actually want to give it to you. If this is your first time here, could you just let me know, waving your hand, and I'd be happy to get it. Okay, fantastic. Now, this one will go to the mom all the way in the backpack. Could you, could you help me out? And then someone else, um, you know what, why don't you grab two? Because we had two moms in the backpack. One is standing with a child. The other one's by Tim Keller. If you could you just wave, wave your hand. And then was there a third one here for the first time? Okay. Uh, oh, fantastic. This one by John Stott is one of my faves. If, would you mind, like just, it's this lady in the back. I don't bite. <laughs> anyway, thank you. And if you just wave your hand, uh, we'll get that to you. They are out at just the welcome desk, uh, range from $12 to $25. And let's just be friends here. If those resources, like I don't, right now, I don't have the resources to spend money on a book on the Bible. No problem. You just say, hey, can I have this resource? And the person behind the desk will lovingly give it to you. If you have the funds, great. If not, our goal here as a church is for you to grow. So just be blessed, all right? Well, let's pray. We read a bunch. We're going to focus on just two verses uh, this morning. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that you're doing things in our community that, that are just so beyond us, like so beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. We confess you're doing it, not us. We see the signs of life all around us. You're growing us, challenging us. And so now as we hit this, this portion of Romans, I pray that you'll open our eyes to see how good you are. We sang it. You're a good, good father. Well, show us how. Show us how to understand how good you are and what you've done so we could experience life in you. So teach us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, I just got back yesterday afternoon from uh, a 10-day, seven-city, 14-event tour. Started in Scotland, went to uh, two, three different cities in Romania, then ended up in London. And it was great, speaking mostly to students, but also to, I spoke, spoke to a group of people who have physical or mental um, challenges about the love of God and the peace of Jesus. Uh, spoke in prisons, a bunch of them. Uh, one of them was really interesting in London, the Immigration Removal Center, a.k.a. You got there illegally and you're about to get booted back to the country. But now you're stuck in the legal system. You're in England, but technically you're like in international waters kind of thing. It's really odd. So spoke to a group of guys from all over the world wondering what's going to happen Next, it was, some of you are thinking, Jose, well, there's so much need here. Why go, why are you going all, all the way over there where there's plenty of need right here? Well, the reason is because of what we just read. It's the good news for everyone. Everyone deserves and needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And so you go everywhere. And that's the call for all of us. Maybe not every year, but the call is to go everywhere. So I got a letter or a note, I should say, we did in this uh, town called Bayamade in the north of Romania, and we rented out a, a bar that happens to have great pizza. And so we just shut out off the bar because we invited a bunch of students who were all underage, obviously, and that'd be weird. But, but we just 
fed them pizza and Coke uh, and, and had a band, and then I shared. And I want you to read or hear what Andrea wrote right at the end and handed this over to me. I don't think you realize what you've created today in my life and heart. I always was aware about the darkness in my life, but always afraid to recognize it, and I did not know what to do about it until today. I wanted to know I'm loved, like everybody, I guess, but today I realized I am loved in a perfect way. I want to thank you for this evening and for making me aware. This is why, yeah, let's give thanks to the Lord Jesus. And she happened to respond in faith to Jesus that night. And I don't read a lick of Romanian, so she handed it, but then someone translated it for me. <laughs> well, we're in week three in our series in Romans, and this is going to be a year-long adventure because we want to see what it means to live out the good news for everyone. And so Romans, because some of us are newer, Romans is, is set up in like six sections or six parts. And so we're just in part one, three weeks to go through the introduction that Tracy just read. But I just want you to see where we're headed. So the message, Paul tells us exactly what the message is in the first 17 verses. But then he talks about the heart. Now that we know what the good news is, what's the heart, the center? What does it do? Why am I opposed to it? All that will take us for the next couple of months through chapter 4, verse 25. But then when you receive this good news, something happens on the inside that makes a difference now and towards your future. And that's the hope, chapters 5 and 6 and 7. Give us a bit of the, the hope that's in Jesus and ending in chapter 8, this section where what can separate you from God's love? There's no condemnation for anyone who's, who's in Christ Jesus. And you'll, we'll end chapter 8 just like, yes, this is better than the Seahawks winning! That's going to take us a while. And then there's a problem. Chapters 9 through 11 is going to talk about the people of the good news. What do you do? Because for centuries, God has been working in and through the Jewish people. Now do I need to be Jewish in order to follow Jesus? But what if I'm not? Am I at a disadvantage? Or what's the advantage of being a Jew anyway? And understanding what it means to be a part of God's people, even though we're diverse and different in our ethnic background, in our financial background, in our educational background, what does it mean to be the people of God? And that will get us through till June. We'll take a break for the summer. And then we're going to come back talking about the power of the good news in the fall. Because something happens when you and I follow Jesus together, or at least should. Paul's going to paint this picture about what it means for us to do this together. That will be our fall kind of series going all the way towards Christmas. And then we'll end with the sharing of the good news because Paul writes a letter because he wants to get the good news to them and to Spain, and to the rest of the world. And so I just, just want you to see the big picture, because sometimes you read a bit of the Bible, and, and, and you miss the forest from the trees. What's, what's happening? That's the plan that will take us through probably past Christmas of next year. Um, then after that, I, I got a feeling I could be totally wrong. So if you're watching or listening on podcast, I think I want to do Revelation after that, because it's just so freaky, no one gets it. Ever read Revelation? Awkward. Um, 
All right. Now, let's look at it together. Why is Paul writing to them? Let's look from verse 15, which we ended last week, but they're actually connected. It's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So he really wants to preach it for, and here's the reason he wants to preach it. I am not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So today we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 because it's the theme of the entire letter. If you're going to memorize any bit of Romans, I encourage you in the next year, challenge yourself. Take parts that are meaningful and read it so much that you can say it without looking. Get it in your soul. This would be the first one I would do. Romans 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, why? The entire letter is about this. Everything else after is unpacking what this means. So today we're just going to get started and then we'll go into the next section which we'll talk about it in detail. What the good news is. Gospel and good news are the same thing. I'm using the phrase good news because gospel has been overplayed or misunderstood. They're synonyms. What the good news is. Verse 16. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God that brings salvation. There's a reason Paul's wording, well, willing and able to risk his life. What is it for? Well, the good news is the power of God. What, what the good news is, it's the power of God. Now, what if you knew the cure to HIV AIDS? Somehow, you're a scientist, medical professional, you unlocked it. Or you could cure terminal cancer. Let's just assume you figured it out. What would you do? Would you keep it to yourself? Personally, I would patent it <laughs> really fast and get rich. But that's just selfish. Me, what would you do? Would you, would you hold it in? No. What if you could stop global poverty? You unlock the secret to helping people around the world. Billions right now are living in poverty. You could stop that. You could somehow get resources from the rich without pulling it away, but them lovingly to give it to care for the poor. What if you could figure that out? Would you hold it in or would you talk about it? The reason Paul was willing to risk his life is because he found real power. He found the power of God. Now all over the world, people are looking, trust me, for God's power. They may not say it overtly, but when we cannot do what we cannot do, we want power to make things happen. And so we look to all sorts of things. We look to ourselves, we look to our careers, we look to money, we look to religion, we look to friendships, we look to experiences. People want power. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed. The reason I'm coming to you is because I've found power. Now, what's the good news, though? Like, he says, the good news or the gospel is the power. Well, what's the good news? He already said it, but some of you may have missed it. Go back to verse 2. Romans 1, 2. The good news he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So 
So who is the good news? Look at the end. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The good news is what God has done and will do in us through Jesus. Lots of people wonder, because you know, we're not on the same page. You go to church, or you read the Bible. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, I believe the good news. What is it? The good news is what God has done and will do in us through Jesus. We need to be absolutely, write that down. Don't forget it. Because lots of people have lots of opinions about how to get right or to be in tune with God. And Paul doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room. Notice, a descendant of David. Well, just rate whatever other book or religious leader. Are they a descendant of King David? Well then, okay, according to Paul, well then they can't be the power of God. Who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God through the resurrection of the dead? Okay, okay, this religious leader, this book, this system, did the descendant of David rise again from the grave in power? Okay, no. Well, according to Paul, it's very narrow. Oh, and by the way, is their name Jesus? Is he the Jewish Messiah? And is he now, because of his life, death, and resurrection, the Lord of the universe? That kind of narrows it down a bit, right? The exclusive claim of Jesus is the good news. And this is why, my friend, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. Now, he wouldn't say I'm not ashamed if there wasn't a threat of being ashamed. Who's he writing to? The Christians in Rome. Who's the leader of Rome? Caesar himself. And he says, when I come to you, by the way, you need to know I am not ashamed to say in Rome that Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And by the way, Caesar may have power, but Jesus, the risen Lord, he has power. He is the power of God. By the way, in Rome, many considered Caesar to be the power of God. So Paul is defining the good news as what God has done in and through Jesus. So the good news is a power. It doesn't bring a power. It doesn't has a power. It is a power. Some of us have forgotten this. We've forgotten that the very mention of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he will do in us, what God will do in us because of what he has done in Jesus, we just lose sight and this thing that's, well, yeah, that's kind of like what I believe and you believe what you believe and faith is important to some, it's not important to others. And Paul says, this is power. I, I, I just wonder if we need to be reawakened to just this. Many of our friends around the world who love and follow Jesus hold on to the good news as real power to really change real people right now. The question is, do we see it as that? Or is it just more one of this, you know, I, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this. I guess, I guess I might as well follow Jesus. Sounds good. No, according to Paul, it's the power of God. So he says, I'm not ashamed, verse 16, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We'll unpack this later on because they're trying to figure out, do I need to become a Jew? To, Jesus was a Jew. 
Jesus was born of King David. Jesus followed the Jewish Torah. Jesus went to synagogue. Do I need to? So Paul says it's first to them because Jesus was a Jew, but it's not only to them, it's then to the Gentile. So you don't have to become Jewish. But he says for Jew and Gentile, there is salvation. Okay, again, we're unpacking words that we hear all the time. What does it mean? What does salvation mean to you? Well, what is salvation? Paul picks up on the meaning. That's all throughout the Old Testament. Deliverance, safety, rescue. All throughout the Bible, salvation is used all sorts of ways. We narrow it down. Most of us, if you grew up going to church, we think salvation is the moment I realize I am sin-filled, I realize that Jesus saves sinners, I believe in him, that is salvation. And then I grow on and become a disciple. Well, yes and no. Salvation in its biblical root, when Israel was being attacked by enemy armies that wanted to physically kill them, God saved them, usually by raising up a leader to defeat them from destruction. God saves. That was like physical, real, like deliverance from an enemy. When people are healed in the scriptures, salvation has come to them. By the way, salvation and healing are synonyms in the Bible. Because to be physically made whole is to experience God's deliverance, God's safety, God's rescue. We just, we, we have such a narrow view of what salvation is, we forget. And in terms of when we are far from God, God brings us close. That is salvation as well. When Paul speaks of salvation to the Jew and Gentile, he is thinking, and I'm saying this because he's going to quote it later on in Romans, Isaiah 52, verse 7. We'll throw it on the screen. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Peace from your enemy is salvation. Who bring good tidings, good words, that's salvation. Who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So Paul picks up on the biblical idea, when God is ruling, we are safe. That's what, that's what salvation is. So whenever Israel or people moved away from God, they wouldn't experience his deliverance, his safety, his rescue. But then Isaiah picks up on good. Now, in this, and we don't have time for it, Isaiah is saying a messenger is going to come who's going to proclaim good news. Your God reigns. And, and he's pointing ahead towards Jesus. But for Paul and for us, it's not just about Jesus taking care of my past for the Jew and for us to be saved means, yes, God has covered my past. Our sins and evil deeds he'll remember no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sin from us. Of course, that's part of it. But that's just like the appetizer. To be saved is to experience God's safety, God's deliverance, God's rescue today. It means when things come against me, I am trusting as it says to Zion, your God reigns. I am trusting that God is bigger than this. Which, by the way, 
is a good word for us who are a little afraid because of a tiny election. The number one question, because I was over in Europe, everyone wanted to know, what's happening over there? To which I'm like, everything's fine. Oh, we're fine. We're totally fine. Jose, Jose, Jose. We, no, we're not fine. Yes, we are. Because salvation is not about my spiritual dimension only. I am under the rule of God. Therefore, governments come and governments go. I can pray for godly leaders, whether they're godly or not. Romans 10 is going to teach us that there is no authority on earth given except by God. So deal with it. And... I follow God. What in the world do I have to worry about? Well, don't you realize what could happen? Who, who, who's your salvation? Since when is the federal government my savior? Last time I checked, Jesus is Lord. And so people come and go. It doesn't mean I'm not active. It doesn't mean I check my brain out the door. But now's a great time to follow Jesus and stop worrying and by the way, get off social media. Get off. Because no one cares about your comment. <laughs> no, you care. But nobody cares. So get off of it. All right. That's good news. Our God reigns. Now, what does the good news reveal? So if salvation's bigger, it's past, it's present, it's future. God delivered, God's delivering, God will deliver. It has to do with where I'm headed. It has to do with where I am now. What does the good news reveal? So Paul says, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to Jew, then to Gentile. So we're going to look at three things that salvation includes. Two, then we'll look at another verse, then hit the third one. Number one, salvation is for everyone who believes. So Paul's going to say quickly, it's not an ethnic thing. You don't have to be born in a family. You don't have to live in a place. You don't have to have anything. Salvation, the gift of God... The gift of God's presence, God's rescue, God's deliverance, it's available to everyone, oh, who believes? We'll get to that later. And it comes through Jesus, who happens to be the fulfillment of God's story through Israel. So this is, so, this is, this is why Paul says I'm not ashamed of it. And this is the stumbling block for us. Everyone in our culture wants to believe that every belief gets you towards the same direction. That's just not true. As, as, as popular, do you know that there are things that are popular that aren't true? Novel idea. Look at the internet, right? Popular does not mean, when I say true, I mean helpful. So it's not helpful to say Jesus is the way to God and at the same token say to another belief system, that does not claim Jesus as the power of God, to say that they're both true. It's not helpful at all. And what Paul's going to say, in a polytheistic culture, just like today, in his world, everyone believed in the gods. The only strange thing in Paul's day was to believe in one God. That was, Jews were considered weird. Acceptable, but weird. And followers of Jesus, even more weird, because you're saying God walked in this man? God came through this man? 
he's the only way? That made no sense. And the same goes for today. You're allowed to say anything except Jesus is the power of God. So don't cry about it. Own it. Make it like, yes, that happens to be God's plan. Now, so Jesus is for the Jew and the Gentile. Why is this true? Paul, again, is thinking of his Bible. He's not making this stuff up. And in the Bible, Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord, Yahweh, said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. So the whole world's going to be blessed. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples. So God's word to Abram is not, I'm going to bless your family only. It is I'm going to use your family to show how great I am. It's like, you ever been to a store and this is what sells us stuff? You see it on display. Folded clothes are not that attractive, right? But you see a mannequin or like they put the outfit together. It's called upselling, right? You went in for a shirt, you left with an outfit. Why? Because they put it on display. Like they, they showed you, ooh, you know that with that. And that, I need to get it. Why? That is on display. Israel in the Bible is never meant to be the only group that's going to know God. No way. But Israel is going to be on display. All the world is going to see this is how good God is. This is how, how God saves. And they're going to, wow, if they know God, I want to know him too. Israel is only to be a light to the nations. This is what God is like. So look at the response, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. This is the gospel. Really? Yeah. God spoke to Abram. What did Abram do to get in God's presence and hear God's voice? Absolutely nothing. There's tons of people as a matter of fact, Abram and his family are all idolaters. They're all following false gods. And I don't even know why. God comes to Abram and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the world, and I want you in on it. And so, verse 4, Abram, what? Went. He, he heard God and said, oh, all right, all right, if that's what you want to do, God, I'm with you. And the rest of his life is lived pursuing the God who spoke to him. Now, this is the essence of the gospel. This is the essence of the promise from the beginning that God was going to change the entire world, Jew and non-Jew, through a group of people. And now Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's been doing since the beginning. So this is why we read the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and we read the New Testament, is because Jesus makes no sense apart from what God had been doing. God had been promising for centuries, I am going to save, I am going to deliver, I am going to rescue, I am going to heal, I am going to do it. And in the end, Jesus fulfills all of the promises where Israel had failed. The challenge with Abram and all of his descendants showing how great God is, was they ended up walking away from God. And so even Abram 
Um, trust me, I'm going to give you kids, and through those kids, but then Abram doesn't have any kids. And so he kind of messes up trying to get kids. And then he's scared to death that someone's going to kill his wife, Sarai. So he lies and tells people, so it's not my wife, she's my sister. So Abram is always a perfect example of an imperfect person, to give you a tongue twister. You ever feel like, man, I'd love to know God, but you don't know what I've done? <laughs> Congratulations, look at Abram. And Isaac, and Jacob, and everybody else. They're all mess-ups. None of them are portrayed as perfect. And that's the gospel. The good news is that what God had been doing is trying to bring a people to himself. And what does it take to become part of his people? Trust him. Trust him. Now the third thing about salvation I want us to catch is that salvation comes from the righteousness of God. We're going to get technical here. Don't worry. When in doubt, just nod up and down and listen to the podcast in slow. Do you know on the podcast you could actually listen to me talking this fast? So you could even, you could even listen to it in slow-mo if you want. We're here for you. Salvation comes from the righteousness of God. Because verse 17, the good news, or the God, in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, there are the challenge with the phrase righteousness of God, and those of you who've been reading, if you picked up one of these books, there's been a long write-up about the righteousness of God. It's two words in Greek, but it could be interpreted multiple ways. Here's the challenge. How you understand the righteousness of God is going to affect how you read every bit of Romans. So there are at least three different ways we could translate it. And a guy much smarter, John Stott, evaluates it this way. We'll put a quote on the screen. The righteousness of God, this phrase, can be thought of as one, a divine attribute. Our God is a righteous God. So you could say, for in the good news, the character of our righteous God is revealed. So you could re or, second way is, or the activity. That is, God comes to our rescue. So verse 17, you could translate it, for in the good news, the work of God to rescue us has been revealed. Now this sounds technical. If you're new to Jesus, hang in there. There's no test, no test. Everyone passes, okay? But this is huge. In the good news, God's character is revealed. That could be one thing. God's work has been revealed, what he did. Or thirdly, or achievement. That is, he gives us a righteous status. So you could say, for in the good news, the newfound status I have with God as a son or daughter has been revealed. You could say the righteousness of God is his character, his work, or what he does for us. But I love what John Stott says, and he's a brilliant thinker. He's now with Jesus. For myself, I've ne never been able to see why we have to choose and why all three should not be combined. In other words, and if you read scholars on this, some will highlight it's all about what God does in you. I'll say, no, it's all about how great God is. And I think it's purposely vague so that you and I will realize in the good news, God's character is revealed, God's work is revealed, and God's work in your life is revealed in that because of his work, you are now right with God. 
Now we're going to get back to the righteousness of God. It's going to come up again and again and again. So we'll move on. We already looked at what the good news is. The good news is the power of God to change. We already looked at what it reveals. It reveals the righteousness of God, his character, his work, and how that changes me. Now let's look at what the good news requires and we'll respond in worship. What does the good news require? Middle of verse 17. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And in that, you're seeing this a quote from the first part of the story from Habakkuk. So what does Paul do here? Okay, what does it require? How do you and I enter into the righteousness of God? How do you step into his presence? Well, the answer is faith, right? Now, we all know that. And that's not hard, but we need to define our terms. So salvation is not just about sin one time. I'm in the kingdom of God. Whew, now I can do what I want. Jesus loved me. And then I go to heaven. That's not, that's not salvation. Salvation is to come under God's rescue, his mercy, his care, his love, his healing. And I walk. So, so I was saved when I was seven years old. And guess what? I was saved when I was eight, and I was saved when I was 10, and I was saved when I was 15, and I'm 44, and I'm saved. And, and if I make it to 45, I'll be saved. And, and a thousand years from now, I will be with Jesus, saved. Because it's the work of God for all of my life, throughout all of my life, and into the next life. So maybe that's not how we've all seen salvation. Well, faith is one of those nebulous things. Because everyone's like, yeah, I, I believe, to which I would answer, you believe what? What you believe matters. This is why Paul gives the first of many quotes from the Bible. The Bible quotes the Bible. Paul, in the Bible, quotes the Bible and says, oh, what kind of faith is it? From first to last, the righteous will live by faith. Now, they knew their Bible. We don't know it. In Habakkuk's time, Israel is about to be in a massive mess and they're in terrible rebellion against God and things look hopeless and they're like, man, what happened? I, I'm a son or daughter of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, where are you? Be careful, friend. Be careful pointing the finger at God. I am warning you. Be very careful. It's okay to say, God, I don't know what you're doing. But be very careful saying, God, how could you do this to me? Or why would you let this happen? Here's why. We're not God. The righteous, those who are in the right, will live their life by faith in a God who is faithful. So what is faith? In Habakkuk's time, everything's a mess. You know what the word of the Lord is? From the beginning, the righteous will live by faith. Their world was hell on earth. And God's word to them was trust me. Just like Abraham or Abram had to trust God. I'm going to give you kids when he doesn't have any. And Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and everyone else, knowing God is, it is an experience of ongoing trust in the faithfulness of God. So, so you only enter the righteousness of God you only see his character. You only experience his saving work. You only become transformed to a child of God through 
faith. And this is going to, why am I being so emphatic? Because this is where the rubber meets the road in the church and outside the church. And so the next section of Romans is going to unpack this idea of faith in absolute detail. So just hang in there. But let me give you a quote to help unpack it. Brilliant writer N.T. Wright says, In Jesus the Messiah, God has shown himself to, uh, faithful to the covenant purpose, purposes and promises. In other words, Jesus is faithful where, where Israel's not. Jesus is faithful where Abram's not, where Moses is not, where David is not, where nobody's faithful. Who's faithful? Jesus. And those who believe the good news about Jesus will find that this faithfulness reaches out and embraces them with a salvation that can never be taken away. God is faithful in Jesus. God's faithful to you in Jesus. So what is my faith in? Someone say, well, I, I love Jesus. I have faith in him. Here's what that's supposed to mean. Faith in God's faithfulness. The problem with faith today is it's just nebulous. Whatever you, whatever you believe. I, I have faith that if I keep working hard, things will be all right. I have faith that God is love. That's my favorite. I have, a, I have faith that God is love and God wouldn't condemn anyone because how can a loving God condemn anyone? Well, we have faith in God's faithfulness. And if God is not faithful to judge rebellion, what kind of God is that? I come in your house, steal all your stuff, and I've got all your goods. And you come and quote and say, that's okay, because it's just loving to take people's stuff. It's okay. It's all right. If they wanted it, they can have it. No, you'd say, wow, that was actually mine. Not only do I want it back, I want them to get punished. Why? That was unfaithful to steal, right? So we always want God's faithfulness when it comes to someone else. We always want God's love when it comes to our own junk. And that's just the truth. Faith, in the biblical sense of the word, is in God who is faithful. So, let's bring it back to Genesis 12. Abram went where God said, and guess what? God counts him as having faith. God said, go to a land I'm going to show you. Abram says, yeah, I believe. I believe that you could get me there. You said I'm going to have kids. I don't have any. I believe you're going to give them to me. And my friends, salvation comes from first to last by faith. You're saying, Jose, you're saying the same thing. I'm doing it on purpose. Our culture says that's ridiculous. Certainly I have to do something. Certainly I have to muster something. Certainly all of religion is our honest and misguided attempt to get right with a God who's saying, trust me, all religion, any which one, you change the name, change the religious book, change the system, it's all, even the Christian religion is our attempt to say, okay, if I do this, Jesus will forgive me. And the good news is that's not God's plan. God's plan is to give his faithfulness to you even when you're not faithful. Wow. That's good news. Tim Keller kind of pinpoints it. A great 
writer and pastor of New York City. At the root of each and every sin and each and every problem is unbelief and a rejection of the gospel. People who are immoral and people who are moral both reject the gospel when they try to be their own savior. He hits it on the head. The good news is that unfaithful people get the faithfulness of God because God is faithful to us. And when we respond and say, God, I trust that you are what I cannot be. I want to be like you, that he gives us the ability to live in the right, forgiven, free, pardoned, and then now walk with him and learn the way of Jesus and actually grow in living more like Jesus intended. But the root of the problem is the rejection of the gospel and its unbelief. To the immoral, he says, yeah, there are those who say, I'm going to find my own way. Leave me alone. Well, that's rejecting Jesus. But there are plenty of religious people who would say, well, I go to church and I've done this and I, I am, I am, I am, I am. And that's unbelief. If the gospel is dependent on your ability to live up to God, we are all dead. Absolutely dead. But if the good news is that a faithless people can be given life in God and God will change us and walk with us and shape us and remake us, then my friends, that is good news. That's good news. And so we need to be clear about it. The good news is you cannot save yourself, but God can and will through Jesus. I could have just said that and walked off the stage. But I needed, I needed to unpack it a little bit. That is, that is the gospel. The good news, you, you can't save yourself. God can, though. Jesus is the power of God. And God will, because Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. Was Jesus' most famous phrase? Follow me. Doesn't that sound like God and Abram? It's identical. God tells Abram, follow me. Okay, I'm there. And in that, that heart expressed trust that God is faithful is what puts Abram and you and me in the right spot to receive from God. You see, God's not looking for you to become right. He wants to make you right and keep you right and make your wrong right. That, my friends, is the gospel. So two, plays, two, two ways to play this out. And we want to respond. We don't want to hear, we want to do. Two ways to respond is this. Number one, if you are not yet trusting this Jesus, which remember, faith is just putting my hope in God's faithfulness. If you're not doing that yet, why not now? Why not like here? Why not like, if, if this is true, then there is a life for you. And my friend, it's true. There's life for you. So the right response is to follow him. That's some of you. But I think for most of us, here's the right response. Is to be confronted with my fear and my shame. This is true, yet we're ashamed. We're ashamed to say that we follow Jesus. When people ask us what we do on the weekend, we talk about sports, we talk about food, we talk about hanging out. When was the last time we said, you know what? I spent time with God with my friends on Sunday. What? We're, we're ashamed. Because we think like people are going to think weirdly of us when, when Paul says, this is power. This is power. 
So Paul says to the church at Rome, I'm not ashamed of it. Neither should you be. Maybe the right response is to ask God by the Holy Spirit to instill in us a love for this good news to the point where we want other people to to know him and love him and I don't want anyone to live far from him. And if it's for everyone, that means I have a call to lovingly share it with people who seem to be far from God. And so I thank God for Andrea, who at a bar in Bayamare received the love of Jesus and said, I was afraid of my sin, but now I've heard that there's forgiveness and she's alive to Jesus because a group of people said, this is good news. All right, let's live it out now. Let's not just talk about it. The band's going to come and we're going to respond. And I'm asking you, worship is not about singing songs. Worship is my heartfelt response to who God is and what God has done. And if one thing has been pricked in your mind, like, wow, the right thing to do is to worship. To to go back to God and say, okay, God, here's, here's what I feel I can do in light of what you've done. And so you're not yet following Jesus. I'm going to invite you to do that now. If you are following Jesus, there's a rightful response. I don't know what that is for you, but we want to step into it. We're going to worship by singing. We're going to open the table and let you know in advance uh, if God stirred something in your heart, whether that's you need to follow him or there's an area of brokenness that needs to be healed, physical, uh, memories, relational, whatever. I want to say God saves, and he's here to save. It requires that you trust his faithfulness, but he's here to save. And so as we sing at the right time, we're going to have you go to the tables, grab the bread and the cup. When we do that, after we take it together, we're going to have a team of people that are going to be at the back, and they're going to be there to pray God's saving, rescuing, healing, loving, peace-giving power over your life. And so be open to that. I'm just telling you now, because I don't want you to get like, what? We want to make that available to you. Make sense? All right, why don't we stand? And Lord, we love you. And so we we do sing songs that are about you. But more than that, we want to know you. So come, encounter us with your presence, we pray. Amen.